You know, I remember playing my first game back in Grenada. You know, there's a lot of plaque signs with kids and holding up, you know, welcome back, DJ Bravo. We miss you, we love you, and all these things. And the champion is back. So it shows that the people actually miss me. And, um, you know, I was just happy to be back representing the West Indies again. I'm Rebecca Walcott and I'm obsessed with getting to know the secrets and strategies behind some of the leading change makers across the globe. So I decided to create my own podcast to give you inside access into their life and their recipes for success. Think of this as your one-stop shop for inspiring and empowering yourself to be your own visionary. Today's episode features world-renowned cricketer, entertainer and producer Dwayne Bravo. Bravo is a West Indies all-rounder, former captain of the 2015 CPL champions Red Steel, SP 2015 Best Play nominee, and lots more. From cricket to music, Bravo has also successfully explored the entertainment industry, creating top hits like Champion, which has over 100 million views on YouTube. This episode explores team rituals, funny moments, and of course, Bravo's tips and tricks for building his brand and securing wealth for future generations. So let's get started. Can you tell me about what it was like growing up in Santa Cruz and when did you realize that you were so gifted in cricket? Um, I realized my gift, as I would say, between the age of five and six. You know, my dad used to be that person in the village, he used to take all the, all the young boys in the village between eight and, and, and 14, eight and 15. He's a big cricket fan, he loves cricket. So any young kid around that age, he always encouraged them to play cricket. So my elder brother used to play, my cousins, they all used to play cricket. And I, I was always the smallest one in the group. And I always used to be the tag along because I want to I wanna be there. I want to be with my elder brother, my cousins playing this game. And in, in Trinidad and also in the Caribbean, cricket is the number one sport in the region. It's, it's, it's that one sport that every young kid look forward to playing because it's where you see all your childhood heroes and the people who you admire because it's one sport that unified the entire Caribbean people. So growing up, you always hear the likes of Viv Richards, West Indies team, and, you know, for us, who from Santa Cruz, Brian Lara. So I take part in all sports, and um, but cricket is really where I was gifted with all the talent. And from a very early age, I just wanted to represent my country, be like my hero, my childhood hero, Lara, and, and see how far I can reach. Looking into you, you know, you've had such a great career and you're such an all-rounder. Even this year, I saw that in your match against Tim Lucia Zooks, you became the first bowler to take 500 wickets in T20 cricket and the first bowler to take 100 wickets in the CPL. So what do you think has contributed to your high level of consistency? Because you really could do everything. <laughs> you do a lot of research, huh? <laughs> I always have to do your research. Well, the thing is, I'm like, you've done so many interviews. I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, you'll be able to smell the bullshit real quick, you know? <laughs> it's, um, it's a great feeling personally for me. I would have never in my wildest dream think 14, 15 years ago, I would have been the number one wicket taker 
in a format, in any format that is. So, um, you know, I'm just happy. I play with some brilliant teams around the world, great teammates. So a lot of my personal achievements, credit have to be given to those teams and those players that I play with as well, because I can't achieve anything by myself, you know. So I'm proud of my achievement and I just want to keep pressing. That's good. And I'm just curious. So how do you prepare, you know, your mind and your body for game day? And do you have any rituals that, you know, you, you do like, you know, some people always wear the same underwear or the same socks. Do you have something that you just have as like your lucky charm or you just wake up and you're ready to go? Yeah, the only thing I do is, is um, I just pray, but I don't pray only for cricket. I pray every day. That's for life, guidance, protection, and for people. I have no rituals. I'm not superstitious. I'm one of the most easy, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I don't have a favorite underwear. <laughs> but some people do. Have you they not do. heard it that way? They have my to brother, do the same my, thing. My brother, my brother is like that. My brother have a particular tights he wear, a red tights he wear all the time whenever he want to bat. Um, some people go with socks, but I'm the total opposite. Like, whatever it is, it's whatever. Some people, when they take the field, they make sure their left foot or their right foot touch the ground first you know they, everyone have different rituals and r- routine that they do but I don't have any like none wow is there anyone on the team that you know has a really weird ritual I know you mentioned your brother has the red tights but anyone you know or you've noticed does the same kind of foot movement or something when he's on the field I know Sunil Narang is someone superstitious a lot. So for us, like we get like about six, five, six playing shirts per tournament. If every tournament he wear a particular shirt and he did well, he will wear that shirt for the rest of the tournament. So who's washing that shirt? Or that shirt, the, the smell, no, the, all these, no, all no, these sweats no, and no, everything no. contributes no, to no, the no, good luck. No, 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 you the laundry. You oh. send it to laundry, <laughs> but you just keep wearing that yeah. shirt. Right, right, you know? okay. He might, if he bat with one good bat, he will use that for the rest of the tournament. So everyone have their own different style of things. Like I said, um, it, each of their own. If it works for you, it works for you. It's not going to work for everybody, you know. I don't get caught up in those things. I just do what I have to do. Right. And which one do you enjoy competing in more, Caribbean Premier League or the Indian Premier League? In terms of the crowd and the vibes and just everything in general, do you have a preference or is you like both of them the same? I love both. I appreciate the both. But the Indian Premier League is the most competitive league and it's the hardest league to win. You know, the teams across the Indian Premier League are, I can say, equally good. Whereas in the CPL, you know, the Knight Riders is the most dominant team. And a lot of people don't like what I mean. And you're not just saying that because you're on that team. You're saying that objectively, right? You're not biased about any of this. (laughs) I can't be biased. Our our stats show that we are the most team. So so whether it's the the Warriors fans or the Zooks fans, they will take offense to it. But at the end of the day, it's reality. I'm speaking the truth. It's not something that I know I'm trying to fabricate. Um, We have the most titles. We have the best players. So most time we normally walk and win CPL and dominate, whereas in IPL, it's more challenging. And with quarantine and everything, has that switched up your routine to prep for games? Or what is a different experience now that, you know, we have the pandemic going on for almost this entire year? Has that affected the way you play at all? No, not playing-wise. Also, for me, I whether it's a pandemic or not, I tend to keep to my routine, which keep myself active, keep myself fit still do my workouts, still go to the gym, still run, still do my cricket training and stuff. So when, for example, like CPL, 
when it was like, bam, okay, CPL is on in, in one month time. A lot of players turn up unfit because they get caught up with, uh, it's a pandemic. Uh, don't say that. Now I feel like you're attacking me because I got caught up. Like, I don't, I can't remember the last time I exercised, but at the end of the day, it's your job to be fit and in shape. Well, uh, I don't I think cannot. you have to go and run and bowl and bat and all these <laughs> yeah, things. That's you, just true. To, yeah, you just have to use the beauty and you'll be fine. So, for us as athletes, we have, have to keep, to. yeah, we, it's part of our, our job. And I never see the reason. You know, when some players use the lockdown as excuses to be overweight or to be unfit, I don't, I don't, I'm not happy with that. I can't accept that. Uh, so it's just your own self pride to keep yourself active, keep your body fit. If gyms are closed, okay, no problem. You do homework at home. You do a workout session. You go for a jog. You find a way to keep yourself active physically, because you you never know if that moment comes you want to be in shape you know so yeah and it's one of those things you could prevent like that's all on you if you come up if you show up out of shape whereas there are other factors that you can't can't prevent or can't control but this is one way you absolutely can control it you know yeah definitely and so uh, tell me honestly because you've had so many matches and you've traveled all over have you had any funny or embarrassing moments while you're on the field or any pavilion? Any funny things happened or any funny stories you could share? No, I never had anything embarrassing or funny to say. Um, there's one time we were playing CPL. This kind of funny, but um, I'm not sure if you might understand it fully. But there was one guy by the name of Hamza. Tariq, he's a Canadian player. So for three years, he's been in our night riders team but he haven't played any games you know for three years he haven't played and this one particular time we give him a chance to play so but when you're not playing you normally be that person who take drinks out on the field and take message back and forth and all of these things and so this one time he was playing in the 11 playing and he bat and he out and he's sitting back into the dugout and watching the game and somebody called for a drink and he get up and run thinking that <laughs> he forget he's actually playing in the he was on the field. <laughs> <laughs> so he get up and run looking to carry drinks with him and it's like, wait, <laughs> like you're playing, you can't do that. To me, I find that was real funny. We all started laughing at him. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. That's a good one. Now, in terms of your overall career, was there a specific moment in time where you know, everyone has that goal. Some people have a goal where they say success will be when I reach a certain point, right? But you've had so many successes. So was it a specific moment that you always looked up to to say, this is when I've reached success? Or was success just being able to do what you've accomplished so far? Yeah, I think it's a latter part. Uh, do what I've accomplished. I don't think I ever set myself, okay, if I reach this particular goal or this particular age, I want to be this or that. I I never set myself goals. Only when I was younger, I set myself goals in terms of making teams. Like, you know, I would like to make my national team at 18. I would like to make the West Indies team at 22, but I made it at 20. So that's those small little goals. In terms of success, I don't really set, okay, I am successful now because I have achieved this, I have achieved that. You know, I just allow destiny to take its own course and do what I have to do to keep myself grounded, keep my focus and um, just looking to improve each and every time and keep building on my little foundation, my legacy that I have and just want to, you know, 
the little remainder that I have left in cricket and you know I just want to do my best. And now I'm going to switch things up a little bit to a little rapid fire question round. So this is, has nothing to do with no business stuff, just more questions to get, you know, get to know you personally because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are like, I just want to know random things about them. I don't always want to know business and cricket. So what's your favorite cheat meal? I know mine would be a KFC zinger or because I'm in America, I like the Popeye's chicken sandwich. But what's your favorite cheat meal? Doubles. Okay, that's a good one. And besides you, of course, who is the life of the party on the Trinbago Knight Riders team? Mm, I would say um, Kevin Cooper. Are you a morning or a night person? Night. What's one item that you can't live without? My, my cell phone. Your cell phone. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, those are all good answers. So now let's sort of talk about some of the lows in your career, right? Because you've had a lot of highs, but you've also retired and and dealt with some pretty low lows. So can you talk to me about a time where you really faced like pretty disappointing news or, or you just had a really dark time throughout your athletic career? And why do you think that made you a better athlete? The retirement part, um, it didn't have nothing to do with my ability or me or my lack of performance or anything like that. It was more to do with politics. And I stay very far from politics. And I think I have achieved a lot of things without being a system person. So when I mean system person, you know, a lot of players and, and a lot of people in the administration level, they rely on the system and they you know, they need the system in order to lengthen their careers and get a job and all of these things. For me, it's more about I'm a principal guy and I, I, strong, I believe strongly in principle. So when I retire, when I announced my retirement, it was more based on politics. I just had enough. Um, I was wrongly treated badly and, um, you know, criticized for my commitment to West Indies cricket and all these things. And I just can't be bothered anymore, to be honest. And I just decided to retire from international cricket and um, continue playing the game that I love around the world so that my fans can still have the opportunity to, play, to see me. And it worked for a while until those who were in charge no longer in charge. And it gave me the opportunity again to come out of retirement to represent the Caribbean people again, you know, again, it was never my decision from my heart to retire at the time I retired, but I just can't be bothered with politics and, and um, the dishonesty and I, I, it's just not part of me. So I step away and now I'm back and, um, you know, recovering from my injury and hopefully I'll be back playing again soon. And so when you came back, it was more of a decision because not in terms of your personal performance, but just the environment that you and you thought it was a better environment. And do you think that that's made you a better athlete knowing that you are mentally also ready to be back? Yeah, the mental side, the, um, you know, the talent-wise, that will never go because mentally I was, I'm always there. I'm always a strong person mentally. My talent will never leave me. 
and I will also become a more experienced player. So when I announce my return to international cricket, I know definitely the environment will be better because there's different leadership from the top straight down to the management staff of the team, the coach of the team, the captain of the team. So there's change in leadership that also helped me make my decision to come back and play international cricket. You know, I remember playing my first game back in Grenada. You know, there's a lot of plaque signs with kids and holding up, you know, welcome back DJ Bravo, we miss you, we love you and all these things and the champion is back. So it shows that the, the, the people actually miss me and, um, you know, I was just happy to be back representing the West Indies again. Yeah, that must have been a really good feeling. Definitely it was, yes it was. <laughs> So this is a question that I've always been interested in asking a professional athlete is just looking into the financial wealth aspect of things. Because, for example, in the NFL, I was doing some research. Of course, you're not in the NFL, but this is just a general statistic that also leads into other um, sports. Uh, 78% of former NFL players have gone bankrupt or end up in financial stress just two years after retirement. And just as a professional athlete in general, did this come to mind for you in terms of maintaining your wealth after you're tired? And I know you also are an entertainer, you're a DJ. So did you ensure that you had other means, other streams of income to maintain financial security? What was that process? Or did that even come to mind? Because sometimes, you know, when you're making a lot, a lot of money, you don't necessarily think about the after of when you're not having that consistent stream of income. Yeah, as I said, that, uh, the stats you call out, you know, 70% of NFL, NFL, NBA athletes on the whole struggle after life, after um, their professional sport. And it happened in cricket as well. And um, it crossed my mind. And the, the good thing about it is that a lot of these things happened before me. So you always said, okay, I don't want this to happen to me. So to avoid this, this is what I need to do. This is what I would like to do, you know. Um, the problem is when athletes try to manage their own money because at the end of the day, the reality is when you're not accustomed to making money, come from humble beginnings, poor family, all these things, and you start making money as an athlete, as a person, you feel the responsibility is to mind your entire family, you know? And that is where sometimes, so if you try to mind your entire family, and I'm talking about brother, sister, uncle, niece, nephew, and on top of that, live a, 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 a lavish lifestyle, definitely that's when you run into problems, you know, and it's important if it is at, when you dare at that time making that money, you always think it's coming. But NFL athletes, NBA athletes, the money that they get, it's impossible to really see how they go broke. It's different to cricket. Like cricketers do not generate or cricketers do not make even 10% of the money that NFL athletes make, right. you know? So it's a matter of knowing your limit, knowing your responsibility, knowing that you only have a 12, 15 year career span and you want to do things with the money that they earn so that therefore when you finish, you still can live comfortable. There is no athlete who can earn the same amount he earned while playing. But at least when you finish, once you do the right thing, you can still have a, a type of income or earning power that will keep you set for the rest of your life and set up for your kids and your family and stuff. So for me as a, as a, as a parent, as a dad, I make sure that the start that I my parents was never able to have set for me, 
I make sure that I can do something for my kids. So whether it's have a bank account for them, have money in it, get land, house, something. So at least my kids have a start in life. And so for God forbid something do happen to me, my son will have an apartment, my daughter will have a house or something like that. And so I think you brought up a really good point is just looking into the fact that it actually doesn't even matter if you're a professional athlete. Not everyone, most people are not good with managing money. It doesn't matter if you have $10 or a million dollars, right? So you always need to make sure that you have some sort of help or plan so that you make the best of the money you have at that moment. But I, I want to talk to you about sort of the statistics of your salary. So someone like you is obviously making a, a good amount of money, right? And let's, you're not only making streams of income, we have to be honest, you're not only making streams of income as an athlete, but you're also, you're an entertainer, you're a DJ. So you're, you're very smart in that sense that you've used your other skill sets to make a career in other ways, right? What made you decide to get into the entertainment and music industry? Was that something you were always passionate about or did you see that as a business move? It was more passion and then the passion lean turned into business because I get involved in music because I, I passionate about it. I love it. I, I love our culture and, um, you know, I was always that person be the entertainment guy on the team yeah so it's more passion you know um i don't see myself as no jay-z no usher or no neo <laughs> as a singer <laughs> you're realistic about but just but you're saying that now but i was doing research your champion song that was the song in 2016 still is the song has yeah. close to 100 million views so you're saying you're not no jay-z but in terms of in the caribbean like mm-hmm. you know yeah, have a but lot of respect. My, music, my music, and I was having that conversation last night. Like, you know, um, my music do rock up some views and stuff. Obviously, Champion is on a different level, um, past 100 million and counting. Um, but the other songs that I release, I have songs that like I have 7 million, 5 million, 3 million. So, as soca artists or sometimes dancehall artists, don't get these kind of numbers on songs, you know. But never, I, never, not I, even like the well-known dance. Like I love dance and I go on YouTube, look at their videos and again, a couple hundred thousand, but you're only millions, you're only multi-millions. So give yourself some credit. That's very good. So yeah, but uh, for music, it's just about passion. I, and then eventually I, I said, you know what, you know, I started getting bookings. I have a big fan base and I'm using it wisely. You know, where some people use their social media for fun and games and use their talent for fun and games. I always think what's the next best move. And I remember I went to a cricket game, T20, and you were playing. And then it's like, you're playing and I'm also hearing your music in the background. <laughs> so it's like, that that must feel so good to you to be on the field and also hearing that. Like, not many, no other cricketers could really say or get that same experience as you. So. It's just amazing to see all the different ways that you have been able to create a brand for yourself. So to close, because we're at the end, this has been really lovely. I want you to give some advice to the younger generation who looks up to you. So someone who wants to be, you know, a professional athlete, an entertainer, a musician, someone who really looks up to you but may not know how to get there. Can you give them some advice? The sky is the limit and set yourself targets, set yourself goals. The most important thing is self-belief. Um, if you believe in yourself, that's the most important thing. Believe in yourself, trust in God, you know, and just 
know that anything you put your mind to, you can achieve it and um, give it your best shot. It's best to try and fail than fail to try. You know, I, I live by that. Um, discipline, I always say discipline is the key to success. And yeah, just, just put it out there in the universe. If you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, entertainer, just put it out there. Put it out there and um, go after it. You will have hiccups. You will have moments where you don't feel as though you can make it or you'll have people doubting you or something like that. But once it comes from your heart and you're genuine about it, go after it. Well, thank you so, so much. I really, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. I felt like I learned a lot and I hope you enjoyed it too. Thank you and all the best. Thank you all for listening. Cheers to another great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you like and subscribe to Visionaries on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow me at rwalcottxx and you can follow my career services platform, Connect Forward at The Connect Forward on Instagram. Now, our next episode features the granddaughter of Archbishop Desmond Tutu and patron of the Tutu Foundation UK, Mungi Ngomane. Mungi is an author, a public speaker and a human rights activist. She has an incredible story and a powerful message to share with us all that involves reframing allyship, fighting for social justice and racial equity and lots more. So stay tuned for our next episode and have a wonderful holiday season. See you next time. Okay.